Chapter 2, Love of Place This morning I woke from a dream, the bed of my grandmother shaking. Now granted, it's an old bed, the only big piece of furniture I not only saved when she died, but brought it all the way across the country to where it and I now rest together. The deep rumble I heard and felt shook me as well as the bed. And then I lay listening to the spring birds waking with their songs just as the sun came over the Inyos, the Inyos, dwelling place of great spirit, one of the few Numu namings that has fortunately remained in this valley. And then came another loud rumble, and this time the whole house seemed to shake just a bit. Now, not an earthquake, I thought, as I know that feeling pretty well. No, this was not a dream or a quake, but the reality we now live with daily here. Perlite mining trucks, passing by just across the pond from my window. The planning department told us 50 a day likely, beginning each day often with the first light, running sometimes long into the night. This past weekend, 11 p.m., even midnight. The Perlite Mine is about two miles up this county road from us, maybe a mile as the heron flies. It reopened last year, and I'm sure offers just enough local jobs to make the county supervisors happy. And look, I mean, really, how could anyone be against Perlite? It's those little white, fluffy puffballs that appear in potting soil to the delight of every gardener. Wikipedia tells us it's non-toxic, except, of course, if one breathes it in large quantities. We are so lucky it's perlite, we must remind ourselves. We should be so lucky, given the history, past and present, impacting of this land by mining of gold and water taken to build Los Angeles. And still, now if the wind blows from the west, the air is filled with the dust off the perlite mine. And today, when the winds blow from the southeast, the air is filled with the so-called dust off the Owens Lake, Patsiata. Such dust said to be the highest concentration of toxic particulate matter in the state, if not the country. Last January, I started coughing and really haven't stopped in over a year, close to two years now, as I read this. Everyone feared COVID when they heard me after watching the news. No worry, though, the doc said. It's only, well, probably asthma. We live here because of the water. That being true, obviously, for where all humans gravitate in this world. And yet here especially, it was this little one-acre pond that called our attention so strongly. The little creeks and irrigation ditches running to it. Three of us combined our resources to buy this place we named Three Creeks. And not so much about the three of us coming together, although that did feel like a blessing, if not a miracle. The name was actually to honor, to remember, 
to invite us and any guests to recognize the three creeks coming out of the mountains, making this small oasis what it is today. Red Creek, Birch Creek, Tinnamaha. We knew the Department of Water and Power owned most every watering hole in the valley, yet this one acre, along with four other acres, was owned privately and now for sale. It took us only three days to say yes. Three people, three days, three creeks. I first came to Payahunadu in the early 80s, best known as Big Pine, Eastern Sierra, Owens Valley, California. Payahunadu, place where the water flows, so named by its original Numu people. It seems a far more fitting name. I came that first time with a small group of educators, community leaders, and today, what I might name as activists and visionaries. We were caretakers of 40 acres in Ojai, California, a land sanctuary and small learning center, whose teachers were many indigenous peoples from different parts of this country, as well as other nations and lands. When a Native American sat with an Aboriginal elder, and a Tibetan Rinpoche, we all learn something more about caring for each other, for the land, for our communities, as well as for ourselves. So why, you might ask, come here? To a land in comparison that seems so dry, to a place none of us knew very much about? We did, however, know two people who had made it their home, who had sat for years in the Inyos and walked through the washes, day and night, who had learned the history from the land itself, as well as from spending lots of time with Grandpa Raymond, the Paiute elder, who offered his words and ceremonial ways to any and all whose hearts were open. Stephen Foster and Meredith Little were our guides and our friends, offering us a way to be in nature, listening rather than taking, learning rather than managing, loving rather than consuming, praying rather than just playing in these desert mountains. The School of Lost Borders was just in its beginning years as well, and we found no better people or place with whom to mark our new beginning as a foundation, the Ojai Foundation as a community in Ojai. We felt a rite of passage was essential. Such ceremonies too often lost or repressed, if not forbidden by modern colonials. Fortunately, we were connected to a growing number of people realizing how important they were, rites of passage, how essential to revive and survive. We spent many days and nights fasting alone and praying in the high desert here, followed then by many days sharing our stories. This time provided the opportunity for our story to truly be heard by olders, not only our guides, but by the oldest trees, rocks, and ravines. Stories that seemed often too hard to speak, dreams that seemed maybe too naive or idealistic to even reveal. Yet through the telling and the listening, 
something changed. Some things changed that deeply needed to. We were able to put some of the wounds to rest, to clean up our individual stories so that we could actually come to work together. We were able to strengthen and repair our faith in what mattered most, letting go of what didn't. We returned to Ojai and began to tend the land and the people who came in, I would say, a much better way. And then some of us returned here. I came each summer for the next 15 or so years, learning more about rites of passage, more about the history of this land and place, more about my own ancestors, my own history that somehow had led me from Ireland to New England to this valley, so foreign as it first seemed to be, now coming to feel more like home than anywhere I had ever been. All of that history leading up to where I am now, where we are now, still learning, living, and loving this little five-acre oasis, Three Creeks. Over these years, though such a small speck of time compared to the thousands of years amongst Numu, I have witnessed still a lot of change. Some of us during 2017, 2018, and 2019, 30 of us to be more precise, took a long walk to learn more. Three weeks over each of three years from Mono Lake to Long Beach. Long Beach, that's Los Angeles. We wanted to learn more than the stories. We wanted to learn about our watershed directly from the lands and the waters. As well, we listened to the people, the earliest inhabitants, along with the ranchers, a few miners, fisher folk, environmentalists, and even staff, yes, of the Department of Water and Power. City officials, along with water rights activists, and community leaders from as close as Bishop and as far away as Israel, Bolivia, Australia, and India, joined us. What a walk. For more of the story, I just will say seawalkingwater.org. For this moment and this streaming, it's with me because ever since then, three years ago or more as you hear this, so much has continued to change. In the last years, we have been asked to stay home. Only essential workers are to be out due to COVID. And yet the mine keeps operating and the wells keep pumping. All except the wells at the fish hatchery just down the road. Last year, Three million fish died from some bacteria in the water and had to be shut down for the first time. Did anyone know in the public till recently when there was a big meeting about it how much water was being pumped there over the last years? Ten times more than what all the people in Bishop use each year. Only now is it possible to measure the impact such pumping has had on the vegetation there, and I suspect as well on our land, two miles away. So many love this land, this valley, 
these 14,000-foot mountain peaks. We are the deepest valley in the continental U.S., one hour away from Death Valley, the lowest point, and one hour away from the tallest, Mount Whitney, a place of extremes for sure. We humans all are guests of the bristlecone pine trees said to be the oldest trees in the world. Guests, visitors, settlers, tourists, ranchers, miners, shopkeepers, climbers, in a valley that has been inhabited by Numu for thousands of years, still here, most living on reservations, Big Pine, Bishop, Lone Pine, tribes, separate and yet woven together in families beyond any government border designations. The first fences put up by settlers led to the first fights over the water, and the battle continues today. So many issues, peoples, differences. Back in Colorado many years back now, I remember organizing one of the first climbing clinics for women so that I and others could learn, or maybe for me, tend to my fear of heights. Who could not love climbing and climbers? Well, today I can't help but share the concern of sacred sites that are being desecrated, overrun, not to mention the overload of cars parked and people camping and shitting, so much so that to take a walk in a local wash is often out of the question. More young people coming to town, well, they brought internet, cappuccinos, and yoga. Not bad things, necessarily. More DWP people, we're constantly told, well, they've brought the parks and the jobs. More fisher folk brought fish hatcheries and tourists. With that, change has come to be considered progress for many, for sure. Perhaps it's not quite the same as the overnight Western development I witness working in other countries, yet many of the up and downsides are actually very similar. All the while, with it, comes a slow, steady draining of the groundwater, dying of the vegetation and pollution of the air. Some say the people are far better off than they were. But I can't help but ask, when or, or who exactly are you referring to? What people? Since genocide here? Or since the valley was green with irrigation ditches running throughout it? It took years to get DWP to fix one irrigation pipe responsible to give water to the Big Pine tribe. And that only happened because a woman water commissioner down in L.A. opened her heart and her checkbook on the spot once she heard the story. It's DWP, along with the water commissioners in L.A., that decide most everything here in this valley, since they own 90% of the private property. If we are going to decolonize, as is the cry today, amongst so many change makers, well, this certainly seems a good place to start. So many people and organizations at the table. I think there are five Mexican restaurants now in town, 
And we all need to be speaking Spanish in California if we want good relations with our neighbors in the days to come. Not to mention Chinese and their future here and around the world. Our favorite neighbors are even growing alfalfa for the Chinese. It's hard to keep up on the changes and the stories of the present, much less be part of reparations for the past. And then there's the future. Who decides? My beloved friend Pierre Elias Amidon says, There is not much difference between you and me, only our names, our bodies, and our opinions. The one place where there is no separation, where there is perfect communion, is now. I guess my version of that is being current in the current. When people I am close to get overwhelmed, where things just seem too complex, I often find myself saying, just stop, let's stop, listen, and do the right thing. And it's hard to know what is the right thing to do sometimes, much less do it. Now, after writing I remember my dream last night before the trucks woke me, I say in truth, My home is in the dream. I was with an old partner of mine and his son at a gathering of some kind. Before it was over, John got up and walked out because of his child. I did not really know why. There was hardly any communication towards me, and when I turned around, he had left me his wallet only. As it turned out, I had no transportation no wallet or identification of my own. Only the clothes on my back was the feeling and the truth as I got up to leave myself. There was some fear, a little perhaps, but mostly trust. And then I remember what unfolded. I met people through their gifts. I found a small bundle and opened it, and there was this elaborate Moroccan multi-layered cake of sorts, and then a beautiful person I remember falling immediately in love with, offering me a place to stay indefinitely. There was no going home. Home was here in the willingness to walk on. Home was in the gift John passed over some years ago. He truly lived for his child. And in writing this dream, I can't help but be reminded of that phrase, for the children, a reference in part to the indigenous prayer to live for future generations. I sit with this prayer as I think and dream of the future for Three Creeks. We're getting on in years, as they say, And we want to pass the baton of care before we or this sanctuary begins to fall into disarray. Well, like everyone, we could go any moment, like John did, of a massive heart attack and just leave our wallet behind. And we dream to leave more than that behind. We love this place. So many peoples, this valley, and yes, We're listening. 
How do we do the right thing? We listen, and as rites of passage guides, we ask for help for us and for this place. Whether giving it away or selling it or leaving it in a will, there's a lot to consider. The mine, the water, the care needed, the neighbors. When one is considering to marry a place, not to mention a person, people had best know history, gifts, as well as challenges. I remember when Wynne began to speak of marriage, I introduced myself or reintroduced myself to him as damaged goods. I knew he had fallen in love with his experience of my beauty. He even called me that as a name. I needed to be sure he knew more, if not all of my flaws, before saying yes. And so... We share with people as much of the valley history as we can. We get them to walk with the water. We share the beauty and the great tragedy and suffering here, from a Paiute trail of tears to the Manzanar Japanese internment camp only a few miles down the road. Some of the very beams from those barricades actually make up the roof of our budio, our barn studio. We can't forget. We share the love and beauty of nature, water, mountains, flowers, gardens, and bees, all key ingredients of any course, book, or life of wellness. At the same time, five of the nine neighbors we've known have died of cancer. Does that seem a high proportion or not? I especially remember the old miner we grew so fond of when meeting on our walks, listening to him as he was dying of throat cancer. As the trucks drive by and more military jets fly overhead, this small watering hole still, because of or in spite of, it just becomes more alive, at least to me, more beautiful every day. More love, more care. It's a call and response. More herons, bobcats, egrets, owls, more fish, fruit trees, bees, vegetables. It seemed a paradise when we first drove in, and now perhaps even more so. I remember wondering if I could live in such beauty knowing and feeling the injustice in our country and in this world. And then I remembered the words of an indigenous grandmother who was asked a question about land and inheritance and settlers. Please, she said, if you have such, whether inherited, bought, stolen land or not, please love and share it. That is the right thing to do. Now my husband Wynne is coughing more, not just when the fires are here, so nearby each of the past years, but every day now in the spring. Allergies, perhaps, the docs say. And I say, well, who isn't allergic these days to our various expressions of toxicity? They're most everywhere. 
from far more than any plant pollen. If we are to leave before we die, or certainly when we do, what is it that we're leaving for others? More than a wallet, I hope. I hope we leave a prayer, a way, a beauty way, an acupuncture point, a healthy cell, or as healthy as one is possible in this valley, in this earth body. I'm a migratory species, hopefully not an invasive one, and we just may make that choice to walk on before our years are up, knowing that many from this valley will not. Most Numu will stay with their ancestors here, no matter who comes and goes. This is their home. And so I work for the health of these lands and waters as long as I can. Yes, listening to the indigenous peoples is the right thing to do. Listening of Three Creeks is to be a regenerative homestead, a watering hole, a place for Numu to come, to return, a place for settlers to settle and continue learning, a place perhaps for many to come and go as they have, to find a good way to be guest stewards, migratory species, to not only this five acres, but on this earth, this planet. We come and go, and the places best be shared and passed on to those who love. Whatever it is that moves the before into the now, into the next, to that I bow down. Thank you, Pierre Elias Amidon.